Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, and welcome to our Take Control of Your Health podcast, in which we bring you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. This next interview is part of my Best of series, which features some of the most popular interviews with leading health experts. So thank you for listening. Now let's get started with this week's program to help you and your family take control of your health. Cancer will affect you personally or someone you love. What can you do about it? Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Dr. Lee Aaron Keneally who is uh, going to help us answer that question. And uh, we uh, just to expand on the likelihood of you being affected by this, one in three women and half of the men will come down with cancer in their lifetime. And we're not talking about benign skin cancers. We are talking about the real deal. So this is a serious issue that you need to be uh, certainly well informed on to know your options because there are so many forces that are going to give you misleading information and sending you on paths that are not going to solve the problem. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Dr. Keneally. Well, thank you, Dr. Mercola, for everything that you do to spread the message of health and changing people's lives. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I, I met you initially at, uh, Dr. Lee Cowden's conference, I believe. And uh, he's actually having another one. I think, believe you're speaking there this year too, are you, in November? Yes, that's correct. Uh -huh. so we'll, we'll both be there. And if you have any interest in this topic or brain dysfunction, because this year is gonna focus more on brain, but this, actually the treatments are almost identical. So I would strongly encourage everyone to uh, go to Orlando and you can hear not only Dr. Keneally and myself, but uh, probably two dozen other speakers there. So it's, it's going to be a delightful event, November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th in Orlando. And we'll have details of that on the page. But um, you, like me, are a family physician. I'm wondering if you could share your journey and how you started to focus and specialize on treating cancer in your clinic. Well, that's an interesting story. So I was born in the 50s, and um, I'm number three of six children. And my mother was pregnant with me for about five months and she started bleeding. So we went to the doctor and so the doctor gave her a drug called DES, mm. which was diethylstilbestrol. And that was given to women in the 50s to prevent miscarriage. Mm -hmm. So approximately 16 years later, my parents received a letter. I was living in Houston, Texas at the time and they said, this drug causes cancer, hormone problems, anatomical problems. So you need to go to MD Anderson and get full workup. So at 16 years of age, I started getting pap smears, colposcopies, biopsies, uh, until I went uh, till about 21 years of age. And then they told me, because I was moving to Chicago, that I would need to be followed continuously for this problem. So I went to UT School of Public Health and I did my master's on DES and understanding all the complications as a result of DES. And I had many of them. And today I still have many of them. So my whole mission is one, not to get cancer because I was so high risk. So luckily in my journey, I obviously researching and then meeting people at the conferences that you and I both attend, 
uh, I met unbelie unbelievable other practitioner doctors who had cancer themselves and fought it and won. And so I always tell people, you learn from someone who's already been down that path and has become a master of healing themselves. So thank you for sharing your personal history with that, because I think that gives people a better framework to understand your perspective. So I've written a book, Fat for Fuel, which uh, was motivated out of my passion to also treat cancer. I never personally had cancer, and no one in my family has had cancer, but it's an enormous impact. And it just, it brings me to tears to think of the millions of people that are dying needlessly. It's a 1,600 people a day in the United States alone, and the vast majority of them, probably 90, 95%, don't have to die from cancer. And it's just, that was the motivation for the book. So we're not gonna talk about diet in here. And I think we're both in agreement about optimizing uh, the body's ability to burn fat as your primary fuel, but we're going to go into the other ancillary components. You know, another area that we're not going to talk about, but I'm really also passionate about is uh, the importance of EMF, uh, electromagnetic fields and cell phone radiation and all those. And that's important too, but we're going to talk about some of the things that you really dive deep to in your book. And one of them is toxins. So, uh, another really crucial component. I, I briefly discuss them in the book, but don't go into depth into some of the, the specific strategies you can use to eliminate those, but that doesn't diminish their importance. So I'm wondering if you could discuss the connection between toxins and cancer. Yes. Well, in my book, I have a whole chapter on that. And uh, there's myriad of toxins. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of chemicals that are utilized every single day in our tens, water. Tens of thousands. Yes, water, air, and soil. It's so many. So I tell people, if you're gonna live in today's world, you know, we've progressed to the civilized society we are, but if we're gonna live in this world today, the number one thing you need to do is detox on a regular basis, somehow, some way. And a lot of it you can do at home, mm -hmm. all by yourself. So. So if you're going to live in this world, that's what we got to do. But some of the biggest ones, and I, I was interesting, I just read a report. They just had the international meeting on aluminum toxicity. Mm -hmm. And all of these, I will send you the info because I think it is something that would be a great topic for you to talk about. And aluminum, people don't think, people don't even think about aluminum toxicity. Well, where would you get aluminum? Well, it's in manufacturing, it's in vaccines, it's in your daily deodorant that you use. It's in the rain. It's in the rain, exactly. So so now we do heavy metal testing and toxic load testing on every single one of our patients. It's very easy to do a urine sample for toxicity for toxins like phthalates. It, it picks the big ones. And that's the next big thing is phthalates. So phthalates are everywhere, effervescent in every single one's life. I mean, National Geographic, CNN have done plasticizing of the world. So so it is, we know it causes cancer, heart disease, and uh, diabetes. And so, but it is, a lot of reports say it's the number one pollutant in man. And so um, then you talk about all the heavy metals, mercury, cadmium, lead, and besides aluminum, arsenic. And then you talk about all the benzene compounds. And then you talk about just indoor air pollution, outdoor air pollution. Then you talk about toxic teeth. People don't realize their teeth are connected to the rest of their body. And there's the toxins that are being produced by all of the different uh, infections and or root canals. Then if you have an infection, you know, those are live organisms living in you. They produce toxins. If you just have candida, think about all the mycotoxins that are produced from candida, 
from parasites, viruses, etc. Um, then you have um, just your daily water that people are drinking. Now, today, most people are utilizing water purification, some kind. I tell people, even if you can't afford anything, just at least get a, a Brita, a Z, something that is better. Because Popular Science Magazine did a phenomenal article on all the pharmaceuticals in the water. So even if you're not taking it with a prescription by your doctor, you're getting it in the water, whether it's blood pressure pills, chemo pills, birth control pills, chemo, whatever it is, it's in the water supply. So you're getting it regardless of getting a prescription. Yeah, probably the most important type of filtration is to filter your shower. Uh, yes. Because that's where these chemicals get volatilized and your absorption of them is magnificently increased as opposed to drinking them. You can get like a week's worth of toxins from your shower is worth of drinking water. So you got to put one on your shower if you're going to take yeah, a long shower or to take cold showers in like a minute or two. <laughs> exactly. But Which you're is, right. All the chemicals are in the, whether it's in the drinking water or the shower, but, but your organ, your skin is the largest organ of your body. So you're absorbing. And if you look at the physician's desk reference, you absorb 10% orally, 30% through your skin. So your, your skin absorbs way more than something you're taking orally. So it, you're right. It is a very more powerful force uh, of toxicity, not to mention the chlorine, the fluorine, and all the other chemicals that displace our iodine. So it's a, it's a very, very, people just, we, we are living in a sea of toxins. And this is what no one is talking about except people like you. And, and we've got to create this awareness and this education enlightenment with people that this is a real problem. Yes, and there are many strategies that one can do to detox, and we won't go and dive deep here, but some of the ones that are useful would be a, a far infrared complemented with a near infrared sauna. A far infrared sauna complemented with near infrared light, and then a whole variety of different uh, detox agents you can take with that. Uh, to help get these out on a regular basis. And this is something I do pretty much every day when I'm home. I think it's that crucial. And as you mentioned, we are exposed to tens of tens of thousands. The, if you're healthy, you probably got 20,000. If you're not, you might have 50 or 60,000 of these chemicals just because of your exposure living in the modern industrialized society. So they need to get out. Even if you're eating clean and you you know live in a relatively non-polluted society, you're exposed to them. So it's an important strategy. Do you want to elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, that's, that's funny. I've had a sauna in our office for probably 17, 18 years now. And I tell people the single greatest investment they can make in their life and living well today is invest in an infrared sauna. Mm -hmm. So because of not just to, for detox, but so many other things, cancer mm -hmm. cells don't like heat, circulation, et cetera, et cetera. So people can, and now today they have portable saunas, they mm -hmm. have oh, easy, affordable. And when you think about it over a lifetime, it's nothing compared to how you feel. You talk to someone who's done a sauna a month, they tell you, oh my God, I feel great. Another simple thing they can do is coffee enemas. They get the, the, the right kind of coffee and do coffee enemas in the comfort of their home. The other thing I tell people, if you don't want to get a sauna or you can't afford it or whatever, and maybe save up for it, I have my patients do baths of Epsom salts baking soda and clay. And so clay has been around for years. That's what the animals use to take care of themselves. And so they do a bath in that, but you, it, and, and the medicinal effects of just Epsom salts are phenomenal because it relaxes the nervous system, 
magnesium's involved in 400 chemical reactions in your body and um, it relaxes uh, the entire muscular system. And then uh, baking soda. People, if people looked at the original catalog on baking soda when it came out in 19, I forget, 26, 36, something like that. And it, you know, it's amazing. It helps oxygenate. It's antimicrobial. It alkalinizes the body. And these are simple little things that we can do just in the comfort of our home. So detox is powerful. Yes, you mentioned I use zeolite. I love zeolite as a daily detox for people to use. Um, even just juicing alone, making regular juice. I drink 10 ounces of green juice every single morning. Taking vitamin C every day. Vitamin C is a great anti-bug, anti-chemicals, anti-cancer, alkalinizing agent. So um, people sometimes say they can't afford some of these things. Yes, you can afford. You've got to put your priorities in place. And health is our most important asset for all of us. And today, health is a commodity because our children are sick, our young people are sick, and now our older people are getting well, well, sick. Let, let's go into more detail on it because I think the, it's important to understand some of these concepts. For saunas, you can get pretty inexpensive ones that are called tent saunas, T-E-N-T, where your head's yes. out. And I don't particularly enjoy having my head in the sauna. I, I don't think there's a lot of benefit. So you just want to... It's not that important to, to detox your skull. I mean, you're going to get it by increasing your internal core temperature anyway. And this way, your head's out. You're more comfortable. And uh, you just want to make sure it's a low EMF because most of the farm right. restaurants have that as a complication and have a material that the tent is made of that's not outgassing toxic substances, you know, putting them back oh, in your very, system. Very good a, point. There's another thing you can do is add ozone to it, which is a magnificent way because when you're in the sauna, you're your skin pores are open and you're more likely, as you said, the skin has a magnificent absorption area so you can get the, all the benefits of ozone, which is another potent anti-cancer therapy. Uh, and ozone, uh, ideally you get a, you can go to a spa center and get an ozone generator and hook that up to an oxygen, oxygen generator so you can get clean oxygen, high concentration of oxygen to go to the ozone generator and just put it right into your sauna. Maybe a little fan to blow away the excess because you don't want to breathe it, but uh, it's a good strategy, but but with respect to the zeolites, you have to be a bit careful because uh, some of them are you know they, they, you mentioned you know, aluminum is a toxic metal, we don't Correct. need it, and uh, in fact I think aluminum, lead, and mercury are the top three, but uh, zeolite is aluminum silica, and the silica is, is really important. I mean that really grabs the aluminum up, but some of these zeolite uh, you have to be careful. There's there's yes. only a few that work well because they can actually make you worse. But it, but if you find the right one, it's magnificent. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Just like anything, just like yeah. you said, like getting the right sauna that's not outgassing chemicals and EMF, so you're right. So another, and, and I neglected to mention earlier that you wrote a book, The Cancer Revolution, which is why we're having this conversation, which goes into this in far greater detail. And if you want more specifics, certainly that's a, a resource for you to consider. But one of the things that you discuss in your book is cancer screenings. And I'd like to go into that now because we, we've written a lot about that as most recently the colonoscopies and certainly in the past mammographies and PSAs. And th these are the common cancer screens that conventional medicine uses to detect at an early stage, which makes sense. I mean, I'm a big advocate for prevention, but these tests actually 
don't prevent things. They actually cause more harm than good almost all the time. And if you do, do the numbers, you're far like, like more likely to receive harm from this than benefit. So why don't you talk about that and, may, and then after you address that, then maybe talk about some of the cancer screenings that can be effective. Right, so what do we have for cancer screening? For females, we have a pap smear, a mammogram, and a colonoscopy. They don't recommend the colonoscopy until you're 50, but if you've read the news, which I know you have, that the fastest growing cancers is colon cancers in 25 to 35 year olds. So they don't do colon cancer screening. But then I tell patients, well, what about all the other cancers? Okay, so what screening are you doing for that? Nothing. And a pap smear, yes, I think a pap smear is a good tool. Mammogram, of course, we know all the different variations. So it's if you do irregular mammograms, as they say, you have an increased risk of cancer. And I always tell people, they say on the report, I get it every day, mammogram, you will miss 20% or more pathology with this mammogram. So that means the mammogram is an inadequate, incomplete tool of investigation for cancer, especially if, it's you, if it says you have dense breasts. So that means you're gonna miss a lot. So in my practice, I recommend ultrasound and thermography. And I actually, uh, the standard of care, which you know is for a patient to get mammography, uh, which I am, that's what I'm supposed to tell patients. But I tell people like, look, you're gonna, you're not gonna get all the answers. I've been doing thermography for a long time. I find most of the breast cancers on thermography as opposed to mammography. And I also utilize ultrasound. But these are very inadequate to determine cancer. And I'll talk about that in a second. Now, what do you have for men? PSAs, but PSAs we know are very, very inaccurate and valuable tool to discuss. To, to, to decide on prostate cancer. So I personally use that as a tool. So let's say you're coming to see me for a physical every year and your PSA is one, at one, one every year. And then all of a sudden it goes up to two, there's a very good chance that you have prostate cancer. And most of the time that is the case. But I do not use those in today's world. Like you said, cancer is one in two men and about 30, 35% of females. So that means that we're, 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 getting, we're not getting good at diagnosis, but we have fabulous tests available. So one of the tests you can do on a regular blood test is a CRP, the C-reactive protein, which is a non-specific marker for inflammation. Inflammation is the precursor for all diseases. It doesn't tell me where the cancer is, but it tells me something is brewing. And it doesn't necessarily necessarily mean cancer but we do want we want to see reactive protein less than one then the other blood test that i use on every single man yeah, woman and child yeah, that c-reactive protein ideally we should be high sensitivity would you agree yes that's correct yeah because you just don't want a regular crp you want the high sensitivity. No, you want the high highly sensitive crp correct and um anyway and then um, you have the hemoglobin A1C. The hemoglobin A1C is a 90-day reflection of your blood sugar over 90 days. And so the hemoglobin A1C, anyone with high, high sugars is predisposing themselves and has an environment for cancer. So just those two tests that are done on a regular blood test will tell us that you have an environment for cancer. Now, more specifically, there's a couple of blood tests that I've used for many years. So one is the cancer profile that is out of Florida, it's American Metabolic Laboratories, and it checks for quantitative HCG in the blood and urine. 
It checks for a PHI, which is the enzyme of hypoxia, which means low oxygen, and cancer thrives in a low oxygen that was Nobel, Nobel Prize winner, Otto Warburg, one that uh, discovered that many years ago. Then it checks the DHEA sulfate, which is your hormone of stress, immune, and longevity. It checks your thyroid, because low thyroid people tend to have a predisposition to cancer. Then the GGT, which is a sensitive marker of liver. And then it checks a CEA, which is a nonspecific marker for many cancers. And that has a pretty high accuracy rate of, of, of whether cancer is simmering, fermenting, or brewing. Let's make a point that from one cancer cell to a tumor takes about 10 years. So by the time you see the lump and bump on a mammogram, a colonoscopy, an ultrasound, CT, PET, whatever, it's 10 years old. That means we have 10 years, 10 years of opportunity to prevent cancer. And we know the cure for cancer is prevention. So the cancer profile is a great starting tool. Now, that I have used is Oncoblot. Now, Oncoblot uh, was discovered, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and it has about a 95% accuracy rate. It measures the Enox2 protein, and it will determine about 31 or 33 tissue types of cancer. Now, I personally, Dr. Mercola, do not use one testing because I like to check and triple check what I'm doing. So, but that is a pretty accurate test. Like I said, it's not 100%. Then you can do routine tumor markers, but I find at least 50% of the time, a patient can have stage two, three, or four cancer and their tumor markers are completely normal. Normal. So that means those are not a good tool. So I, what I do is I try to get a tapestry of the patient to figure out where all their imbalances are, whether they're nutritional deficiencies, toxic substances, toxic gut, heavy metals, do they have the right antioxidants? Are their mitochondria working or not working? Then I do all the hormone testing. And then I also look for cancer because I tell people now we all have to embrace this prevention. We have to. And we're talking about cancer today, but we could be talking about autism, we could be talking about diabetes, we could be talking, but cancer now is plaguing every single person's family and everything. And so we, we all together need to create this open discussion about all the possibilities that we can treat a human being. So I couldn't agree more. I uh, personally uh, live my life strategy as if I have cancer, a terminal cancer, and to employ a whole variety of biohacks and dietary strategies to optimize it, which essentially makes it impossible, virtually impossible. I mean, nothing's impossible, but close to it of ever coming down with this or pretty much any other chronic degenerative disease. And uh, a lot of the tips I have are fat for fuel, but you know, the purpose of this is discussion is to really focus on cancer, which you know your your, your specialty. So, you had mentioned these uh, screening tests that you're doing, and and also the GGTP or GGT, which uh, is a measure of liver function, but more recently has been found to be actually another very sensitive screen for inflammation. You know, and really yes. the HSCRP. So, uh, but I'm wondering some of the other unconventional tests, uh, if you could discuss where one can get them. Uh, because these are not done at your typical Quest or LabCorp 
blood draw facility and they have to be sent out and many times it's not a blood there's another type of sample that's required and expedited shipping and overnight and with frozen samples so uh so how would they access this and most likely i would suspect finding a clinician who is uh, who knows how to interpret the results and then work with that person uh, that's a good point so the cancer profile i believe they can just call up american metabolic laboratories and get a kit it is a fasting blood and urine kit and dr emil shandle is fabulous about going over with the patients their results and i tell them they should always be seeing a doctor who understands those that interpretation i agree with that and so yeah they definitely need to work with a doctor because just getting phi the testing for low oxygen it's it's an art to get that down so they definitely need to be working with the doctor who understands the significance of each aspect of the test now the uncle blood they can call uncle blood and they will say here are the the doctors that order uncle blood now the other testing um that we didn't even mention that if you if you um the circulating tumor cell test by rgcc so oh, circulating bit, bit, before we discuss that that was my next question for you actually because oh, okay sure the, the the most people don't understand this and so you can make a comment they it will go over their head but most people don't realize that the vast majority maybe 90 95 percent of the reasons why people are dying from cancer at least at a pathway level is the, due to these circulating cancer stem cells that's what kills people so you definitely you definitely want to have a test to screen for those to see if the strategy or the comp compilation of clinical therapies that you're decided to use is being effective. So with that framework, why don't you discuss how you can test for those? Okay. So if you've ever had cancer before and the lump and bump are gone or the lumps and bumps are gone by surgery and or chemo, any other strategy that you've used, the next thing you want to do is you want to check for circulating tumor cells and stem cells. So why is that so important? Well, if something is a millimeter in size, it is producing circulating tumor cells and stem cells. So even if you have surgery or chemo or radiation, it will not eradicate or eliminate circulating tumor cells. And so even though you may have already had the surgery and the chemo and the radiation and the doctor has told you that you are cured and I will see you in three months, six months, a year, whatever the time frame may be, the biggest cause of reoccurrence is the circulating tumor cells and stem cells. And like you said, Dr. Marcola, these circulating tumor cells and stem cells can be the eventual cause of death. So when I first started measuring circulating tumor cells, I had a laboratory, a Quest laboratory came and said, oh, we order circulating tumor cells. We we have the laboratory testing that we can do it. So I started checking everybody's circulating tumor cells and they were all zero. And so after 20, I said, okay, something's not right. Well, then I learned about uh, RGCC labs, which is a lab in Greece. And Dr. Giannis Papitsaru is the chairman. He's a molecular geneticist, MD, PhD. And so I started measuring circulating tumor cells. And so anybody who's had cancer, they must have their circulating tumor cells, stem cells checked quantitatively. Now, 
RGCC is not the only lab in the universe that does it. But the reason why I use RGCC, they're in 13 countries. They have the highest laboratory international certification you can have. And it is, to me, probably most accurate of all the testing that I have done that I have sent to other labs. And so RGCC, and the beauty about RGCC is they will do what they call natural substances sensitivity testing. So because, as I said, surgery, chemo, and radiation will not eliminate or eradicate the circulating tumor cells, they will check the 4950 agents that we know have effect on circulating tumor cells and stem cells, such as vitamin C, such as vitamin D and curcumin, agaricus, and the 39 other agents that you can test. And so they will test to see what is most efficacious on the cells in your system. Very much like antibiotic testing when you have a urinary tract infection. You've used antibiotics, you develop a resistance, so you do a culture to see what works best. So this is also the same thing. Now, combined with the specific natural agents, and I don't give all the natural agents at one time, I rotate the supplements because I don't want the cell to get accustomed to what I am doing. Now, along with that, about four, it'll be four years in August, we started using something called SOT therapy, very similar to anti-sense therapy. And SOT, they take the circulating tumor cells, they reverse engineer a new messenger RNA to disrupt the DNA of the circulating tumor cell. And that is given back as an IV and that IV has a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week killing effect for about four and a half months to target the circulating tumor cells. So we have to eradicate those. So you have to, regardless of the diagnosis and the elimination of the cancer, you must attack those circulating tumor cells and stem cells. Now, earlier you had mentioned, uh, with respect to supplements, the <clears throat> use of, of oral vitamin C on a regular basis. And it, I, I would have to, uh, at least I personally believe and don't do that for myself. Uh, I, I'd like to get it from foods. Uh, I have access to uh, certain types of berries that I grow, uh, certain cherries, uh, acerola cherries that have uh, about 80 milligrams. So I'm taking maybe five, six grams of natural vitamin C a day through the food, but not as a supplement because it's a whole complex. But there's another, so it's just a minor disagreement, but but I couldn't agree more forcefully with the recommendation to do intravenous vitamin C as an adjunct to cancer therapy. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about this because most people don't realize it's not the vitamin C directly that works, but it increases hydrogen peroxide, which causes a really potent oxidative stress to these crippling cancer cells, especially if been crippled even further with a, a good uh, low carb, high fat diet. Uh, and then, you, but you have an interesting tweak on that that you'd like to discuss, which is vitamin K3, which is in synthetic form of vitamin K2 designed to, uh, for tumors that have high catalase. So that's an intriguing approach and I wonder if you can expand on it. Yeah, well, let's go back to the vitamin C. Anything food-based is better. Because as you said, if you took a photograph of a synthetic vitamin C and a, a natural vitamin C, well, look what you're missing. It's like I tell people it's like an artificial flower and real flowers. You'd much prefer real flowers than the artificial flowers. 
So anything like, uh, you know, uh, anything like you said, the cherry, the amla berry have, and they're, and they're, and when you take that vitamin C, it's much more potent than a, any synthetic vitamin C. So uh, you're right on that. And I agree with you on that. Now, vitamin C intravenously, um, whether at all different dosages, because I use all different dosages, 30, 50, 75, 100 grams. And um, we, yes, National Institute of Health, as Dr. Levine did the original studies. And uh, so there's lots of different studies on IV vitamin C going on, even as we speak about it killing cancer, like you said, by creating the hydrogen peroxide and creating cancer cell death. And so, um, so, and we, we don't use K3 on everyone because K3 is, can be, we always do a testing for the patient. We always sense to do a, a subcutaneous, uh, just make sure that no one has an allergic reaction uh, to the K3. And the K3, like you said, is a, it's just an adjunct to the IV vitamin C protocol that we are doing. And of course, there is no one size fits all for our patients. You have to customize, individualize, personalize each patient. And so um, we may not use it, like I said, on everyone. Like, for example, curcumin, it may test very high on someone's testing, but you, you have to be careful with curcumin because people can have, a, 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 I want to call it almost like an allergic reaction. So you have to start out very, very slowly with these substances and see how the individual will do and will respond to these. As far as herbal preparations like uh, curcumin, which is an extract of turmeric, that seems in, in my experience in connecting with many other cancer specialists, the one that's almost universally effective for almost all cancer types. Other, other supplements can actually make the cancer worse. That's why you really don't want to go in there willy-nilly because Cancer, you know, when you're feeding your body with these nutrients and you're thinking you're doing good, well, you might be feeding the cancer cells and you might be accelerating the cancer growth un unknowingly. So you have to be careful. Uh, I, I, with right. That's why when you, when you do a workup, Dr. McCullough, today we have this incredible laboratory testing where you can check every person's where they are. I mean, I do just the nutritional testing, and it's not just nutritional checking. It checks their gut. It checks their antioxidants. It checks everything. You know what you're dealing with more specifically, and fortunately, and believe it or not, the insurance companies pay for all this testing. So it's not like it's financially unaffordable because all the, uh, all the insurance companies pretty much pay for all of this kind of, whether it's blood testing and or nutritional testing. Well, that's good so I, I want, yeah, I want people to know because people don't realize the testing that they can get done that's covered by their insurance. Great. So I just want to head back to the vitamin C for a bit, because as we're doing this interview uh, last week or so, there was a, uh, an emergency room physician, uh, not a, really in an academic position, but he had done some reading and decided that he was going to use 1.5 grams, not 25 grams like most of us use, but 1.5 grams, essentially a, a dosage you could easily replicate, almost anyone could orally, but he did that IV with a little bit of thiamine, and he's, his, his he used it for patients who were dying of sepsis, and most people may not realize that a million people a year die of sepsis in the United States. It's a big deal. There's more people dying from sepsis than a lot of other conditions combined. 
So it recovered, and and uh, so there has it has many other uses. Uh, but imagine what would happen if people started getting a 25 grams of vitamin C, like most physicians like yourself use for for cancer therapy. Right. That's I saw that same study. They used uh, IV vitamin C with thiamine and uh, hydrocortisone, which was mm -hmm. there's a great book. But you probably know Dr. Jeffrey's book, Safe Uses sure. of Cortisone. Absolutely. It's been so, around for two decades easily. Yes, exactly. So, uh, yes. And it's amazing. Look at that. Just a couple of few little very inexpensive things can, can dramatically change the outcome uh, of someone's life. Yeah. So, um, one of the, you know, you're at the one of the, the, the forefront of integrating most of these strategies today, and you've introduced some of these uh, important cutting edge cancer treatments, some of which we've discussed already, uh, and strategies in your book. And I'm wondering if you can comment on any other ones that you're aware of that hold promise for the future that uh, we may be able to see some significant improvements in it, and certainly recognizing that almost all the cancer specialists, the oncologists, are beyond, and I mean seriously beyond, seriously confused about the true cause of cancer. They, they believe, almost every one of them, that it's a genetic disease, and we know it's not. The genetic damage that's in, almost invariably present in all cancers is a downstream side effect from the mitochondrial dysfunction, which is related to some of the other things that we're talking about, the toxins, the NF exposures, poor diets, so that, that that causes it, not some type of genetic aberration or genetic roulette that, you know, oh, woe is me, I've got the cancer gene from my mom or my grandmother, and uh, I'm doomed. That's not the case. And you don't have to have a bilateral mastectomy prophylactically. So what are some of the exciting new, new strategies coming down the road? Well, I will tell you that... Um as you know, the conventional treatment is surgery and or chemo and or radiation. Never, uh, Nature, May 2016, came out with an article that 90% of cancers are lifestyle and environment. And how many doctors ask their patients about their lifestyle, about their environment? None, none. In fact, I had a patient today, she uh, diagnosed with breast cancer in July 2016 by another doctor after implant surgery in April. And uh, then she had breast cancer in her breast uh, three months later. And it was probably there, obviously, before. And so she went to two oncologists. And so I, I always ask the patient, so what did your oncologist um, say that would be the best avenue for you? And she she said, well, they said, okay, it's this chemo, and because you're ER2 positive, you get this ER2, and they go, oh, IV vitamin C, forget it, doesn't do anything. Coffee enemas, because she had been doing the Gerson protocol, coffee enemas, et cetera. And he goes, oh, none of that matters at all. And I, it's so sad to hear this in today's world, because we're in the era of information, so we can get this information. And I said, well, if you just want to Google yourself, um, IV vitamin C and cancer, you will find an unlimited supply of information. And so that's why they were here because they already know that information. But it's sad, like you said, that we're, we have disinformation and misinformation out there. And so, but I, 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 I want people to understand that this isn't a one-two punch. You, when you're unraveling a 10 or 12 year disease, I tell people it takes me about a year 
for you to understand everything that I'm doing and why we're doing it. Because when you understand why you're doing something, they're more compelled. Like, for example, you live a model life because you understand intellectually everything you're doing and what it's actually doing to yourselves. So we want our patients to catch up where we are and what we study. And they are willing to do it. I, my patients, they're all now passionate about re regaining and restoring health. And so I tell people it takes me about a year. Now, we do a couple of things a little different. I'll tell you what we do. Let's say, let's do a couple of scenarios, Dr. Mercola, because let's say a patient has a lump or bump, let's say, in their breast. And it's, a, let's say, two or three centimeters. Well, before you used to just go in and do a lumpectomy. That's as, as well as doing the thorough investigation. What's, you kind of need to know the pathology because if it's estrogen receptor positive, you need, to cut off the, you need to cut off the estrogen supply. There's lots of natural substances that cut off the, natural, the, the, the supply of estrogen to the breast. But the pathology guides your, your, how you're going to treat the patient. But what I've been doing lately for the past six months is I work with a interventional radiologist and she has been doing cryotherapy and cryo is freezing of the cells. And this is really, really new. Now this woman, she will cryo anything. A lot of the studies, if you go and read online, they're really just on the breast. But she, I, I had a patient with a very large grapefruit on her right chest wall, a neuroendocrine tumor. She had breast cancer in her left breast, a neuroendocrine tumor on her. She'd already been treated by all doctors. No doctor said they could do anything. She came to see me. I treat, it, the neuroendocrine tumor is gone from the cryo procedure. Uh, the left is partially gone. She's gonna go in and get another cryo procedure now, because I've only been doing this for about I think five months now. And, and so, so if it's something small that we can, can, that we can approach, I will recommend cryo because surgery is a very intrusive procedure on someone from an emotional standpoint, physical, neurologically. It's very, very daunting to have surgery. So because some patients, you, you everything that says is get rid of the tumor burden because the tumor burden is immunosuppressive. So now the patients may need chemo. If I have patients that have cancer in multiple locations in the body, I will recommend them to do IPT chemo. So that's insulin potentiation therapy with chemo. So that is using a low-dose chemo. After I do the testing, the sensitivity testing with RGCC, it will tell me the ideal agents for this particular patient. We will make a cocktail. We give insulin, lowers the blood sugar to a therapeutic moment. We give the chemo drugs. The chemos have insulin-like growth receptor sites on their cells, so they're ready to selectively take up the chemo, and then we drop a bag of sugar. So we use that, and in combo, I got a machine from France called iTherm, and I've been using iTherm machine on some of the cancers. When you get your RGC testing, it tells me, does your cells, do your cells respond to heat shock proteins? And it will tell me the three different proteins and the sensitivity. So on specific cancers, I will, like the breast is out, so it's very easy to obtain and treat with the hyperthermia machine. And I we trained with a doctor in France that only allows 
any kind of integrative treatments if you are stage three or four cancers. So he spent a lot of time with us in conference calls elaborating us on this particular treatment protocol. So we've been doing that, I'd say, mm, probably on, also probably for the last six months. And then I will combine that with mistletoe. So mistletoe is an immune modulating natural substance. So we combine all those things together because the first thing we have to do if we have lots of tumor burden is we've got to take this big problem and shrink it down to a very manageable problem. And then if it's easily accessible with a cryo or a, a surgical procedure, we will do that. I, we, I have had cases where a breast tumor of nine centimeters with chemo, the low dose chemo with hyperthermia mistletoe go down to nothing in one month. So, so it just depends, you know, you deal with what you have to deal with. Now, the SOT procedure that I was explaining earlier is not for masses. It is just to attack the circulating tumor cells, which we recall is what's responsible for 95% of metastasis and death. Now we just started something new recently um, and we very, very new only in the last month. So I don't have any results. And I will talk about it because they are doing a clinical trial of 60 clinical trials right now with glioblastoma with dendritic cell vaccine. So those are multiple trials going on all over everywhere, but right now the biggest one, because glioblastoma, as you know, is not a cancer that's easily treatable at all. So those studies are looking very, very good because I'm following them because I, the scientist that is involved with them, uh, I know, and so I have a little inside look at that. So the vaccine is to re a vaccine is basically, and I'm not talking like vaccines, like hepatitis vaccine and flu vaccine. This is a vaccine made from your cells and don't have adjuvants like aluminum and all the other chemical compounds. They, it, it is to instruct your immune system to attack the cancer and the stem cells and hopefully give you immunity. So those are things that are on the horizon. I know um, a doctor that's already done it a little bit. They are doing it in Europe. They're doing it in multiple places all over the world. And so, um, but I think the most important thing is when you get anything, it's like I tell people, if you're going to do stem cells, don't go into stem cells dirty. Optimize your eating, your detox, all of your hormones, inflammatory nutrient levels. Don't go spend $10,000, $20,000 on a stem cell procedure when you're in a dirty body. Get your body prepared with whatever you're going to do. I, my patients for surgery, I prepare them two weeks before they even have a surgical procedure. Don't go have surgery when you don't have good nutrient levels, when you don't have a good immune system, when you have inflammation. Get the body ready. The outcome will be outrageously different. So thank you for outlining many of these advanced strategies that one can do. And I just want to emphasize again, that something that virtually all of us could do is apply strategies from the food choices we're making to help our body burn fat as our primary fuel, essentially a modified ketogenic cyclical diet that I describe in my book, Fat for Fuel, uh, in great detail. Uh, and that's, you can do, even if you're choosing conventional therapy, you know, it's a good strategy. And one of the items that we discuss is limiting is actually integrating if you decide for whatever reason to choose conventional chemotherapy you can choose a lower dose 
and fast the day before and the day of, and then eat after the uh, administration of the chemotherapy. And that radically reduces not only the side effects, which are quite notoriously severe, but also the effectiveness of the intervention. So it's a really simple strategy, but uh, this is something every, everyone can do. And, and uh, I recently interviewed Dr. Slocum, who is a physician in Turkey in an oncology group. And he had basically had applied Dr. Seyfried's strategies and not even some of his newer ones, essentially the diet that we just referred to and some of these insulin potentiated therapy, IPT, that you, and some glycolytic inhibitors. Uh, and these are on patients who have not done the strategies that you and I recommend. These were basically stage four, going to die in a few weeks, cancer patients. And he was getting like 50% remission rates from this, who hadn't done the detoxes and the important other supplementals. I think they had IV vitamin C too and hyperbaric oxygen. So it was a stack therapy. The diet by itself will work sometimes, but it won't work at all the times. And Dr. Seyfried is actually... Uh, advancing this technique and we're funding some strategies to help uh, uh, fund his research on uh, a really effective rat model he has, which is glioblastoma multiforme, the most aggressive uh, metastatic cancer in animals that uh, has been developed so far. So he tests these strategies and sees their intervention. And then groups like Dr. Slocum's in Turkey are actually implementing them. So it's pretty good. So, but, so, so with that being said, uh, so I just want everyone to take responsibility for their own health, which is choosing the food you're going to eat and the strategies that we discuss in the book. But, and there are many people who go do that and do all these other advanced therapies and do them themselves. You can look it up on the internet. But the problem is, is that when you get a diagnosis of cancer, or someone you love is a diagnosis of cancer, time is of the essence. I mean, you could be dead in a few weeks or a few months or certainly a few years. So you have, even though you could potentially do it, you know, you typically aren't going to drop everything and start becoming a cancer expert. So that's why it's so useful to find people who've been studying this for many, many years and have a good clinical experience that can help you refine the, the treatment and accelerate your learning. So uh, I'm one, you had mentioned in your book that many physicians, uh, that the challenge is to find these physicians. That's what I want you to discuss now. The, the, how do you identify someone who could integrate these types of therapies? And it's important to understand, as you mentioned in your book, that you don't have to be there in person because many of these consultations can be done online through Skype or, or Google Hangouts. So why don't you discuss the strategies if someone is interested in the type of approaches that you've reviewed on how they would identify a clinician that they could work with? That's a very good question. Um, I think um, the best way is to make sure, like there, there another uh, uh, area is best answer for cancer. That is a good organization to, uh, like there was a big one in April in San Diego and so they invite the public so you can go and listen to doc, one doctor every hour discuss all different facets of cancer so i encourage patients just like you said dr cowden's come the public can is invited to be a part of this discussion and to learn so they know the things and then you you have to you you go to and meet the doctor and you see if the doctor knows how do, how, how, what effect emotions have? What is the eating? Do you know about circulating tumor cells? Do you know about nutrition? Do you know about recommendation for detox? Do you know about IV vitamin C? These basic things that I bring up in my book that everyone knows I reference everything in the book. 
So I, I think these are basic tenets like you're eating. It's not just for cancer. It's for other medical problems that your book is putting out, right? It's not just for cancer. It just happens to be a great tool for cancer, but it can be utilized in neurodegenerative and uh, all kinds of other medical problems. So, um, but the doctor's got to be well-versed on all of those platforms, all those healing platforms. Yes, indeed. And I, I, I interviewed Anne recently, uh, who is yes. the founder of Best Answers for Cancer. And on their site, they actually have a find a physician, which is best answer singular, for best cancer. answer for cancer.org. So that's another way that uh, someone could find it. So uh, you've done a great job on your book. It's another resource. There are many of them out there, and not, not, one is not necessarily better than the, uh, the other. Uh, Anna's written a book, Best Answer for Cancer, too. I think, I think that's, or The Healing Platform is the name of her book. Correct. And, um, so that's another good strategy. So, you, you know, it's, it, when you compile a number of different resources, you'll find some overlapping commonalities that can be very useful. And if you see it in more than one place, there's a high likelihood that's going to be, you know, consistently uh, valid for your approach. So and it'll resonate with you. So I would encourage you to get as many resources as you can. This is this is something that can take you away prematurely. That does every day. Sixteen hundred people, close to seventeen hundred people, are dying every single day in the United States. So this is something that will affect you if it hasn't already. So, you know, there we have to have effective strategies. So uh, in closing, what would you like to emphasize or perhaps even bring up a point that we haven't discussed yet? Well, I think probably I tell people, you know, we can do all this blood testing and we can do all these investigative strategies and treatment strategies, but probably the single greatest tool that costs no money is getting into the right frame of mind and right state of mind. You become what you think about most of the time. So if you become the cancer victim as opposed to the cancer victor, then your body will your body and your immune system will succumb to that. So I I I don't necessarily do that the first visit, but at least the second visit I am addressing there is no more powerful tool than you have than, you, than your own mind and changing the way the cells work and directing the DNA daily with your thoughts. You get what you expect and you've got to be in an added attitude of gratitude 24 seven. And we are so blessed in the world today, we have a lot that we can work with. We have information that we can, but we have got to work on any unresolved emotional conflicts that we have. And there's lots of tools. And they just came out with a study, February 15th, um, uh, University of Jefferson, that they actually now have MRI imaging studies of the brain under stress. And the parahippocampus is the area of the brain and when the pa they've actually done the studies of a patient being diagnosed with cancer, and if they went through a neuroemotional technique to resolve it, the whole parahippocampus changes. So we now know this is opening new frontiers of how the mind affects ourselves. So you've done a magnificent job in putting in a compilation of a resource in your book, The Cancer Revolution. 
certainly a great one to pick up if this is a per challenge for you personally or one someone you love. Uh, and also, I would again encourage you to consider attending the conference at ACIM, which we'll put a link in this interview, uh, where both Dr. Canelli and I will be presenting along with Dr. Cowden, who uh, and many many other physicians who's going to who are going to be presenting strategies that will be useful in this intervention. These are really high-level strategies. Clinicians who have been on the forefront and the battleground or the battle lines for decades, most of them and really implementing these therapies, getting the feedback, refining the approaches, and es essentially uh, providing an effective strategy that you can personally use to address your situation. So uh, I look forward to seeing you there in Orlando, and hopefully those of you watching who this is an interest will also connect, and uh, it'll be a very uh, enlightening uh, uh, event.